welcome to the Bible Feed podcast, a place for conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Hi, uh, I'm Paul Davenport and welcome to another episode of the Bible Feed podcast. Now, never let it be said that Bible Feed are, are afraid of the big questions. And we're going to tackle the biggest question of them all in this episode. What is the meaning of life? Is life meaningless? And Dan, you and I are human beings. And I believe that most of our listeners are human beings. Yep. Last time I checked the analytics, that was the case. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. It's probably fair to say our common human experience of life is that we we have a habit of looking for meaning in things. We want to see meaning. We want to see purpose uh, in what we do. Uh, and we want to be fulfilled by by meaning and purpose in what we do. And many of the ways that we talk about things that happen in our lives, we talk about in terms that, that sound meaningful and purposeful. So, so we talk about things, you know, as a chain of events that have cause and, and effect. They're heading in a particular direction to a particular outcome. And so much of what we do and what we think about other people doing, we categorize using moral terms that are, are attributing meaning to them, like, you know, what is right and, and wrong. And, and I was just thinking, you know, even so much of what we do in daily life, just just our working lives, we categorise in terms of right or wrong. And and I was just thinking back over over my day today, and there are two or three things, two or three occasions where people have come out very strongly and said that somebody's approach to a particular project or doing something, or, or an analysis of a situation was wrong. Um, you know, not something that is you know you can prove one way or the other. It's a matter of interpretation. It's a matter of opinion. In their eyes, mm. it was wrong. So my theory is that that happens to us every day. So just to test that theory, has that happened to you today, <laughs> to, Dan? Today, well, I can think of where other people that I'm dealing with, to, to, with regard to property law and interpretation of various things, I'm thinking, I'm not sure that's quite right, actually, the way the way that people interpret it. So yeah, you're probably right. We sort of always, you know, whatever we're doing for our work context or, or anything else in social activities and dealing with relationships, mm. people, yeah, we're always making judgments, aren't we, as to whether whether we're doing something right or wrong, or perhaps we're always more often making judgments about other people, whether they're doing it right or wrong mm. or not. So Yeah, it seems like we're hardwired almost to think it in that way and to attribute meaning to what we do and what and what we see other people doing. But that doesn't, just because we attribute meaning to things, doesn't necessarily mean it's right to conclude mm. that there is meaning and purpose uh, in, in things. So we're going to explore that, that question. What is the meaning or purpose of life? Is there purpose to, to our existence as human beings? And, and maybe you're listening to this and you're already somebody who takes God and Christianity and the Bible seriously. Maybe you're agnostic. Maybe you're uncertain, undecided, or just curious about about God and the Bible and what people think about it. And I suppose, you know, at Bible Feed, we're aiming to to appeal to and be of interest to to all those categories. So wherever you're coming from, these questions about the meaning of life kind of nag away at us and gnaw away at us on a daily basis sometimes. The questions won't go away, and so we'll confront them. So over to you, Dan. To answer what the meaning of life is. <laughs> Ready? 
<laughs> well, it was prompted to, to think about this. I was looking at a, a YouGov survey for, for the UK. So for our listeners in America and around the world, YouGov does lots of polling in the UK. And there was they literally asked that question about the population of the UK, whether they think that there's meaning to life. And apparently 59% of the UK think that life has meaning. So that's just over half. 26% categorically don't think it has meaning so that means there's some undecided there isn't it i mean make of that what you will i chose that most of us walking around the modern british society think that there is meaning to life there's purpose in life but yeah it's evenly split isn't it yeah so that's that's what 85 percent of people have a view on it yeah that's true so there's so there's another interesting uh, statistic as well in the same survey that was i found really interesting is how often do british people ponder on whether life has meaning okay so how this is getting inside people's heads how often <laughs> do they think about it and nine percent apparently think about whether life has meaning at least once a day that's a it's a lot of people, actually, nine <laughs> percent, and and actually, in total, seventy five percent of people ponder whether life has meaning sometime in their life, whether that's you know a little more once a year or, or mm. you know a few times a week or or whatever. You know, people think about this. So yeah, there's so so many people ponder that meaning. There is. There's 15% of people in this country that never think about that, that never, ever question whether life has meaning, which I find quite astonishing. It's about 10, 10 million people that, that just go through life and never ask that question. Wow. Yeah, maybe maybe they did after they got the YouGov poll question that they had to answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might prompt one to three questions. But. Mm. So sometimes at different stages in our life, apart from that 15%, it seems like we question whether or not there is meaning in this life and it might not be in the thick of every every day like like it is with some people that is only nine percent but perhaps it's you know in when big changes happen or or challenges and and things happen in life i think that's um a a case it seems where where people question whether there's meaning in life when when you're sort of in the thick of day-to-day life there's monotony isn't there in chores and living and and eating sleeping and and so on and i'm reminded of there's a a a dance tune from fat boy slim from from (laughs) a particular generation and and genre that basically has it's well eat sleep rave repeat that's the summation pretty much of the lyrics and and you know it it really yeah summarizes the what goes on in the minds of some people that you know literally we're here to eat sleep rave repeat so so that's that, that's your musical contribution to, to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm speaking, di- this, this time. I'm speaking directly to a particular generation. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I'm going to have to rectify that at some point. Okay, very good. And, and speak to a different generation. But uh, yeah, no, maybe that's the uh, the 15% yeah. in that cycle. But it does, I, I, I know exactly what you mean, but it introduces another angle to the question because, you know, often a, the drift away from religion as something that, uh, you know, attempts to attribute meaning to to mm-hmm. life, um, you know, drifting away from religion is perceived as freeing people from from that to pursue happiness and and fulfilment. Uh, you know that that was the essence, I think, of the of the Richard Dawkins and uh, the Humanist Society slogan on the side of the bus in uh, in the early two thousands: um, "Get out and enjoy yourself, because there probably is no God" or something mm-hmm. like that. Words, words to that effect. And while, yes, absolutely, some forms of religion and institutionalized practices are damaging, and it's, it's right that people should be freed from that. But we're talking here just about the significant overall decline 
in in religion in, in Western society. I suppose it begs the question: if that's freeing them to be happier and uh, and seek fulfilment, is that what it's achieved? Mm. Are people happier as as a result? Yeah, and that's a really hard thing to measure, isn't it? I think. Um, I mean, putting that alongside things like Abraham Maslow and his hierarchy of needs. Yeah, uh, you know, that's the very sort of established yeah. way of thinking about whether people are reaching their fulfilment, isn't it? And and yeah, you would think that with the freeing of, of religion and the affluence of certain parts of this world and emphasis there on certain parts <laughs> certainly mm. isn't evenly spread, is it? But you, yeah, you would think that people will have that potential to sort of reach self-actualization and yeah. happiness and fulfillment and so on. But you can't escape the fact that even people who seem to have lived a fulfilling and full life, even they end up suffering and and there's no escape from depression from from all sorts of anxieties and the stresses and strains of life it seems Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I've referred to Dawkins. It's kind of quite, quite easy to pick that out. He's he's not really a, a philosopher in in the true sense of the word. No. He's a you know an evolutionary biologist. That's that's his specialism. Um, and I, I guess you can turn to a a proper philosopher uh, <laughs> like uh, the German philosopher Nietzsche, who said this about this move away from mm. religion and meaning and morality. You know, he says God is dead. God remains dead. We have killed him. And he carries on to say, as a result of this, you know, how shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? So he's using very moral kind of language mm. there and, and terms like, like murder and being cleaned and, and absolved of some crime. But he's acknowledging, isn't he, there, that move away from religion. It's an admission that it that removing meaning uh, in that way and the meaning that's attached to, to morality leaves you in a pretty uh, sort of empty state and doesn't necessarily lead to the sort of happiness that, that mm. might be might be thought of to be to be the outcome. You know, I, I don't want to pick a particular real life example of uh, of someone who who had everything and and appeared to have the perfect life but was exceedingly unhappy i'll take a fictitious example and this is my opportunity to bring in uh, music for a different generation <laughs> um, <laughs> um and i and i'm thinking of the uh, of the song uh, richard Corey by um by simon and garfunkel and and it's it's actually a, an adaptation of a poem um uh, an american poet i think edwin arlington robinson it describes this this guy, Richard Corey, who has everything a man could want, power, grace, and style. And the chorus is, you know, somebody looking at this guy saying, I wish that I could be, I wish that I could be Richard Corey. But then the last verse finishes with, so my mind was filled with wonder when the evening headlines read, Richard Corey went home last night and put a bullet through his head. So he appeared to have everything, but he was desperately unhappy, lonely, whatever. And, mm. uh, and and ended his life. So it's just an example of the uh, of that sort of nihilistic outcome of that statement by 
by Nietzsche. So, okay, we've uh, let's let's move on from the um, the the wisdom of song lyrics, and and move to something more authoritative. So, the meaning of life is it meaningful? Is it meaningless? Where in the Bible are these sorts mm. of issues addressed? Well, the the big thing that um, I keep coming back to when thinking about this topic in the Bible is uh, a little book in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. So this is, well, it's, it's part of what's normally classified as, as wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and, and Job usually as well. So, so it's a book which is really exploring these, these sorts of questions really about where is wisdom? What is wisdom in the world? And is there wisdom in the world? Mm. How do we, how do we live in a world that's, that's full of, you know, difficulty and things like that? It's a fascinating book. I mean, it's it's um, reflecting on a character, the preacher, or it's the words of the preacher, who has been a king, who's amassed wealth, who's had everything, who's tried seeking pleasure, who's tried learning everything there is to learn, and you know, done all these different things. And you know, it's it sits in the biblical context as if it's King Solomon or someone like him. Mm. I mean, it doesn't actually say it, it is him. It doesn't really matter, really, whether it, it was him literally writing it at the end of his life or whether it's someone sort of taking his life and using it as a way of displaying this wisdom, which in turn is, um, is of course, bringing God's wisdom to us. So yeah, it's this someone who's had it all. This is Richard Corey. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and the, you know, what do they think about it? Um, what does someone who has had everything that, that life has to offer, what do they think about life? I think the best way of of um, getting a feel for it, it's just um, immersing ourselves for a moment in it, in it. We could just start from the start, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. I'll just start at the beginning and you tell me when to stop. Yep, when we're depressed enough, okay? <laughs> yeah, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow... There they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Yeah, there you go. Nothing new under the sun. I mean, that is so so intense. It just feels like it's describing you know life you know those however many millions of people in our country and uh, but but it but it feels it feels highly relevant you instantly know what the writer means yes absolutely yeah i i can I, you know it's almost the same sort of thoughts that must be going around the people's everyone in this country's head apart from that 15% <laughs> who never think about it but you know what what is you know we we live and we grow up and we learn things and we amass thing wealth and property and such like and then we pass it on and then we go it's just like the wind that, that comes and mm. the sun rising and then going down every day. It just life just trundles along and there's just it's just vanity. That's it's really um really intense. So but and so relevant to people living in ancient Israel as it would be to people in, in the UK, in, in America, around the world today, in any part of the world, in any part of culture or history. Yeah, and, and and often when reading the Bible people say, you know, look out for repeated words. 
because there's there's normally something significant uh, when a word is is repeated or emphasized over and over again. And and I was just thinking of that first verse, the, the second verse, sorry. One, two, three, four, five times, five words in that that one verse is vanity. Yeah. I mean, that's a great theme <laughs> for the book to, to start with. What, Absolutely. What's going on there? Yeah. And if you keep reading it through, then it keeps coming up. Like in verse 14, I've seen everything that's done under the sun. Behold, all is a vanity and a striving after wind. Chapter 2, verse 1, behold, this also was vanity. That's when he's he's going after pleasure. In chapter 11, he considered all his hands had done and all the toil I'd expended in doing it. Behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. You know, just over and over again. So you're absolutely right to point that out. It's a really interesting word, actually. So that obviously that's the English word that we've got and uh, we're using the English standard version there. Yeah. And so the Hebrew word um, behind that, that's hevel, something pronounced a little bit like that. Um, and it, it literally means this breath or a vapor. That It's that kind of idea. And it's really interesting to compare different translations as to what they, they use to, in what English word they use to translate this. So, for example, the Net Bible, the New English translation, translates that, that second verse, futile, futile, laments the teacher. Absolutely futile. Everything is futile. The NIV and the NLT um, translate it as meaningless. Okay. So there we go. Is life meaningless? Well, here we go. It's right from the start. Meaningless. Everything's meaningless. And that's that idea of a of breath or a vapor or something that, you know, is, is just kind of there and then it dissipates. So is that, so this word hevel is, the kind of core meaning of it is this mist vapor. So, so translating it meaningless is going a bit further and interpreting that yeah. meaning because it you know the idea of life being a, a mist a vapor is is not unique in scripture to this yeah. in, in ecclesiastes as verse in james isn't there where your life is 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 but a vapor mm. um and there's phrases like you know life is uh, as grass that yeah. is that appears for a moment and then disappears so so th- so as a concept that fleeting transitory here one moment gone the next in the grand scheme of things concept you know is is one that the biblical authors definitely bring forward and want us to be aware of and are not hiding from 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 that from considering mm. that is that fair yeah absolutely yeah so you're right it's um it's a re- reflection on the fact that human life is just here and then gone and everything that we do just disintegrates you know all the wealth and the property and the 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 work that we've done is passed on and and then it's gone effectively that so yeah it's a transitory thing that that it's trying to communicate the question it begs then is well it makes does that make life meaningless is that something that Mm. we can then interpret and the the book is exploring that i mean it's absolutely full of like i said going through uh, well i tried this i tried pleasure i had all these things vineyards gardens parks fruit trees male and female slaves possessions herds and herds and flocks i'm reading from chapter two here i I did all of that to try and find whether or not there's purpose or meaning in that sort of thing but actually no that's all gone Mm. i suppose it's the, the question is therefore does that mean life has no meaning at all you know is it actually meaningless or does the transitory nature of, of life, you know, or despite the transitory nature of, of life, is there still some kind of meaning? And that's really what it's getting us to think about.
there's lots of ways in which the preacher is trying to get us to think about what is vanity or meaningless or, or however we want to translate that. But there's one thing that really starts to come out, I think probably quite subtly at first, but if we just try and pick out a few verses hmm. from chapter 2, first of all, and verse 13, where he says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in the he- his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So there you can see, yeah, he is attributing meaning and purpose now, isn't he? And val- value to yeah to wisdom over foolishness. Yeah, that's right. As as valuable as a light is when, yeah. when it's dark, then yeah, it's worth being um, wise. But then <laughs> the verse goes on, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. And he's basically saying we all we all die. That's later on in verse sixteen. The wise, how the wise dies, just like the fool. So you're starting to think, you know, there's something wrong here. He's exploring the fact now that the wise person who might have lived their life wisely, they're going to just end up the same in the same place. They're going to end up, they're going to die just like the fool. So you're starting to think, well, is is that right? Is that is that just that that sort of thing mm. should happen? And then um, a little bit later on. Chapter 4, again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. That's really interesting there. So now he's reflecting on what happens in the world, and how that it's not just wise and foolish people, but actually it's often people who are wicked, evil, or however you want to categorize them, that they're the sort of people, or can be people, who oppress. So there are oppressors now. So he's really yeah. tapping into this in- sense of injustice in the world. It's actually expressed there in quite in terms that we'd recognize today as, as those that are in power, those, those that have power in a situation or in a relationship, yeah. abusing that and using it for oppressive ends. Yeah, there's no new thing under the sun, is what yeah. he said. And, you yeah. know, it was there, and he re- reflected on it and thought about it, and it's it's in our world now, and we, we're outraged by it, aren't we? Mm. Even though it's meaningless. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's The question is, yeah, if the world is like this, there's, you know, is it that there's no meaning to this world? Is it, you know, just mm. that there's nothing we can... Um, do about it. There's no meaning to life. There's just all this injustice, terrible things happening. It's really starting to get you to think about those things. Not so much. I mean, a lot of the book is about, I've got rich, I've got lots of property, I've got all these things. um, And yet that's going to go away to someone else. And that's the kind of, uh, oh, that's a shame. What was the point of all that? Maybe I should have just enjoyed myself. But then again, he says, what's the point of that? But but when you start to get into the, the point of actually there's people oppressing other people, abusing their positions of power, it's really mm. that's, that's something you can perhaps, or you can't ignore as, as much. It, it comes up again in chapter 7, um, in verse 15. In my vain life, that's that word again, in my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. So that's not so much about oppressors and those oppressed, but the fact that, you know, you could be living righteously. So this is a moral term, isn't it? Mm. Um, And yet you die and get cut off young. And a wicked person, again, a moral term, could be prolonging their days in all their evil doing all the time. So we look around the world and that is you know the world is is like that isn't it so this this vanity isn't just being presented as 
random chance just stuff happens. It also includes injustice, oppression, unfairness. It seems to be, in a sense, particularly in that last one, that injustice seems to be what leads the writer here to the conclusion that it's meaningless. Mm. That, you know, what what's the point in being wise or foolish if the end is the same? Mm. Or the end can be anything random that, that happens. What's the point, what's the benefit in being righteous rather than wicked if the end is the same, as that uh, that last one said? And And so, you know, it almost sounds like He's agreeing with, with with Nietzsche in that in that sense, in that those things, wisdom, foolishness, right and wrong, don't have meaning, don't change the outcome. So so what's what's the point? It kind of starts to sound a bit like that, but in the first passage we looked at in chapter two, he's still attributing value to wisdom mm. rather than folly. He's still using those terms as though they yeah. as though they're valuable and attaching valuable value to to wisdom and righteousness as as though they do mean something. And and it's also the case that people still do feel, you know, whether it's in the ancient times of the times of the writing of this or in modern times, do feel a burning sense of injustice about things that they see going on um, or things that are done to them. That's still there, mm. and and people running your your projects or or whatever are, mm. are running them wrong. You know, people. Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah, people do see right and wrong all, all the time still, don't they? And the terms righteous and and wicked are morally charged terms still. Mm. So I, I think that's right, and I, I think you just again have to look around the world that we live in and see how people are outraged at oppression and abuse of power and. Uh, all these different things that that go on mm. in the world. I mean, imagine a world where terrible things happen to people, so atrocities are committed, but no one cares and no one's moved by it. That would be awful. That would be a terrible, scary world to live in, wouldn't it? Uh, mm. <laughs> if we a amoral yeah, world. Yeah, when 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 people are slaughtered and or a genocide happens or anything like that and and yet people don't think that there's anything wrong in it. We don't, most people, it seems, don't think like that. They they do have a real sense of, of morality and therefore perceive injustice mm. in the same way that the, you know, the writer here is sort of perceiving a seeming injustice. So yeah, that it's kind of attributing value and, and meaning to things and yet not knowing quite what to do with it because life seems to be transitory and meaningless anyway. <laughs> It's a real dilemma, isn't it? Yeah, it it is, and so we haven't we haven't really resolved anything no. very much. <laughs> no, we yet, haven't, have we? No, we've established, I think, so far that the writer of this little book in the Old Testament is asking the same questions and pondering and, and chewing over the same issues and questions that 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 people do today. Yeah. So, is now the right time to kind of move us forward from that to how the Bible does address in, injustice, and you know, is is there something positive? That, uh, that the Bible has to say, either in this book, Ecclesiastes, or elsewhere. Yeah, I think there is. I think we can think through how this book does that. And the way it does it is, is just thinking again a little bit about that word, the word vanity, okay. or, or in the NIV, meaningless, this word hevel. It's a really interesting word. It, it comes up earlier in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. It comes up as a name, actually, so a personal name for, for a character, in the old in the Old Testament, okay, it's the character in Genesis four, Abel, and that's that is the the same word there. It sounds a bit different. All right, okay. Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna check my my online Bible. You do that, yeah. To uh, to check that, yeah. So 
Abel appears where in Genesis chapter 4. And yeah, actually, the word is identical. It's, yeah. it's hevel. And yeah, meaning breath. Yeah. It says here. So, so that, so Abel. Yep. So there's a B in there. Yeah. Rather than a, a V. Yes. And so, so this, this is where the transliteration of the Hebrew words into English is, is written with a B, but actually yep. it should be pronounced as a V. So, so actually Abel should be something like Avel. Avel. Yeah. Oh, I guess it should be Hevel. Hevel, yeah. Hevel. Yeah. We're, Hevel. we're definitely saying it wrong. Hevel, yeah. yeah. Well, let's just keep saying it in many different ways. And, uh, <laughs> One would be right, yeah. <laughs> that's really... And that's surprising. It's an identical word. I came across that by reading the Bible for Everyone translation. And the Old Testament um, translation is done there by John Goldingay. And it's uh, proving really interesting, just reading through a completely different okay. translation. And he, he put the name and in brackets, wind. So you know yeah. what it means that immediately thought that I'm pretty sure that's that's the Ecclesiastes word. So and that in itself is really interesting. So there's a there's a, an Old Testament key story here about this character, Abel, who is someone who is murdered by his brother. OK, his brother Cain. And what <laughs> what his life basically is then is a righteous man, because this is the story where Abel and Cain both give an offering and Abel's is accepted and Cain isn't. So you've got, you know, someone who is on the surface righteous for some mm. reason for his offering and Cain isn't. And yet Cain is mad at that and he um, he kills Abel. So we've got a righteous person who's cut off early, like a wind, like a vapour, just transitory life. And we've got Cain, who seems to prolong his days. You look through the rest of Genesis chapter 4, and Cain and his his sons and his family tree, they prosper, they they build cities, they have people who are sort of pioneers of music and technology mm. and agriculture and, and all sorts of different different things. And Abel, well, that's it. He's uh, he's cut off from the, from the land of the living. And that's... He's just vanished. And you, you get later in the, the New Testament, Abel's referred to a few times. And, and one of those times, Jesus is referring to the blood of Abel, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. And he's kind of referring to righteous people in the Old Testament scriptures who have been killed. And they, and they shouldn't have been. They've been murdered. So he's referring to the blood of Abel as a, as a, a way of mm. expressing injustice. And this kind of exactly what we've seen talked about through Ecclesiastes. It seems to me that the preacher, the book of Ecclesiastes, really couldn't possibly have not had that story in mind. It's in the in the original account as well. It talks about the blood, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Yeah, that's it. Because it's not this. This is where it gets really interesting. Because Abel is rep, yeah representative of the injustice, just you know, cut off like a vapor. Mm. But God. What you just quoted there is what God says, doesn't it, to Cain? The voice of your brother's bird is calling to me from the ground. He's crying out. Mm. So God hears this. So there's a conviction right at the start, right in the early pages of the Hebrew Scriptures, that injustice is heard by God, which is which is really fascinating. Yeah. So the you know the blood he sees the blood and this vivid metaphor of the blood crying out is something that that God hears. We've got this right at the beginning of, of the Bible and, you know, with so many things that happened in those first few chapters, 
they're sort of archetypes of greater themes that then flow through human history. So there's Hevel, as we'll call him now, who is who is murdered. He's given that name, meaning breath, vapour, because his life is cruelly cut short, it seems, and rendered meaningless compared with all the other people around him that are pioneers of great things. And it, it seems as though this little book, Ecclesiastes, is almost picking up that name and, and using it as a theme and expanding it to show that actually that that is an experience that pervades the human experience at a very universal and general level. And But back in Genesis, we've got this concept that that's not the end of the matter, that God is in some way hearing the voice of this, this injustice, the blood that's been shed, and not forgetting that injustice. And, and I guess let's go back into Ecclesiastes because it kind of reminds me of the end the way that book closes mm. in chapter 12. The book, having made all these observations and you know, meditated and wrestled with what can be seen in, in the experience of life and what happens to the wise and foolish and the rich and the poor and so on. So the last two verses, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So, th- so that's picking up on that. God hasn't forgotten that injustice, even though it was the life was cut short like a vapor. Okay, so where do we go with this? So that's that's all. That's great. That's that's good to know. And I guess there was some punishment for Cain for doing what he did. But Abel or Hevel is still dead. He's still in the ground. What yeah. what good is what good is that to him? Yeah, it's definitely a, a valid question. So it it starts off as realizing that despite the seeming meaningless and the the fact that life is just full of injustice and there's no hope. Abel then becomes this symbol of hope that God hears. And there's something also in the New Testament we find Abel used in the book of Hebrews. There's a passage there, Hebrews chapter 12. It's one of these long sentences in the New Testament where the, the author is sort of writing and, and never finishing a sentence so we're just going to sort of dive in. He's, he's talking about how you believers, people who have sort of followed Jesus, you've come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God. He's using lots of different metaphors and, and imagery from the Old Testament. And he says, verse 24, you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay, so so this is interesting now. So the blood of Abel spoke a word, mm. not literally, but it was this voice crying out to, to God and God heard it. But now we hear that the, the blood of Jesus is speaking a word and it's a better word. And of course, Jesus is the epitome in, in the scriptures. He's, he's the one who is the innocent one, the one who was righteous, who was cut off. He was completely righteous. That's what he's made out to be, this perfect son of God, this human being who really shouldn't have been killed and condemned, but humans... They, they killed and condemned him. So the, the most, the greatest form of injustice uh, there ever was. Mm. And yet his blood is speaking something better. And it's because of the fact that he's been raised, raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is sort of reversing that. That's the, the thing that comes out. For example, Hebrews 5, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So there's, again, the voice of Jesus in his time of suffering. That's the idea of him sort of crying out. And and he was heard, saved from death through being, being raised from the dead, which a lot of the New Testament 
is is all about and making that claim which whether however much you've thought about that or or wondered about whether or not that's there's evidence for that or anything just think of that as as a concept yes if jesus is raised from the dead if he has been resurrected then it's yeah it's the start of the injustice being reversed isn't it it's the start of life out of death when the when death was um, an injustice so it's God hearing this. There's, there's a conviction right from the start that God is hearing the blood of those who innocent blood that's been spilt. And and here now in the New Testament, there's something which is concrete that will add something concrete to that hope in the resurrection of Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So that uh, that's tying those two ends of the of the scripture really nicely together, right from from Genesis through to through to the new the New Testament. Absolutely. It's a case of introducing the problem, wrestling with the problem that this life seems mm. meaningless, it seems transitory, and yet, even though it might seem like there's no point to life, we still attribute value to everything and value to human beings, and and we think there is meaning in those things, and therefore that's why we think there's injustice in the world. So, mm. so that yeah, there, there's the problem, and there is you know the conviction of the writers of the New Testament is that God is sort of offering something that is there for for people to sort of get out of this cycle of of meaningless isn't it, it well it, it, yeah it's it's putting forward an, ex, an an explanation as to how how we can consider the existence of God um, and the purpose of God in the light of looking around and seeing you know apparent injustice and mm. and and vanity in in a lot of what we see in life yeah that's right uh, the apostle Paul brings together the idea of whether life has meaning or not together with resurrection when he he, he wrote in first corinthians so probably another long sentence that we're just going <laughs> to dive into but he, he literally he explores the idea well if jesus is not raised from the dead he, he's sort of combating that that suggestion that actually there's no resurrection from the dead and he's saying well if, if we don't if that's the case well let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die and that's a it's a quote back from the Old Testament. Sounds like Fat Boy Slim. It, exactly right. Yes, I think there's a... <laughs> yeah, let us eat and drink, and for tomorrow we die. So there you go. And it, yeah, if that's the case, then life pretty much is meaningless, like 15% of people. But he concludes this chapter with, actually, no, there is some point to this, this life because Jesus has been resurrected. And he says, talking to believers... He says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So he's sort of saying, yeah, this work that you can get involved in, this sort of project of living as Jesus would want us to live mm. by showing care and love and compassion, this is not meaningless. You don't just have to eat and drink and rave and repeat. <laughs> this, there's, there's this work, there's this project of following Jesus and it's not in vain and that springs from his conviction about the resurrection so we're we're addressing you know what we've what we've been thinking of to the to the 85 percent that that do have a view on this <laughs> uh, rather than the 15 percent who never even think about the the, the meaning of life and, and to the 85 percent you know we we know that the pollsters tell us that you do think about this um, maybe not every single day but on a regular basis and and it's and it's true that Nietzsche might have the uh, you know the headline phrase of uh, you know God is dead and we have killed him, but but the issues that arise around meaning in life and and morality and purpose, they're, they're much older than than him. They're, they're as old as humanity, and and it, it's it's really good to be able to 
chew over the words of these this ancient wisdom uh, in a book like um, like Ecclesiastes in the Bible, which 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 actually isn't just looking at the human experience and meditating on it and observing it and, and describing it. It's it's also wrestling with what it means and what is God's play. If there's a God, what's His place in a world that is like that and a human experience that is that is like that? So so maybe when you um when you've listened to this and you go and have another go at reading Ecclesiastes, uh, when you come across that word vanity, you won't just be reading um, Hevel. You'll be thinking of Abel. You can think of Abel and, and how how his blood cried from the ground uh, despite his life being cut short and how that perspective uh, perhaps changes uh, how you read that book uh, when we when we factor in the, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. So, so thanks a lot, Dan, for um, taking us through that and bringing that uh, in front of us. And thanks to you all for listening. We've reached the end of another episode and we'd really love you to uh, give us some feedback, tell us what you think and uh, ask any questions that you have about Ecclesiastes and I'm sure Dan will be happy to to answer them. You can get in touch uh, on our website as usual, biblefeed.org or on um, Facebook, just search for Bible Feed and uh, you can find us there. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with, uh, I believe, an episode uh, looking at um, an aspect of church history. So until then, goodbye. listening to the Bible Feed podcast. Thanks for joining us. We're always keen to hear what you think, hear your questions or subjects you'd like to discuss. So get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org and be part of the journey. Mm-hmm.